Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the first epistle of John, reading there in the fourth chapter beginning at the ninth verse. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I would say good morning, even though it's rather dark and dismal and we may get some rain, but I think we are very thankful that if we do get rain, that that would be a blessing for our community. But we thank God for this Sunday, and I hope you are glad that you are here in church. And as we have come here for worship of God, you've heard me say that this is the third Sunday after Easter, and that this Sunday is known as Jubilati Sunday. That's a Latin word. You may say, well, where do we get it? It's from the first word in the Latin of the intro for the day, which begins, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. And you heard the choir sing, Make a joyful noise. In other words, Jubilate, Jubilation Sunday. This is the Sunday for making a loud noise, for jubilating, for again raising from our hearts our appreciation and our thanks and our praise to God. That's the meaning of this Sunday. And you may say to me, all right, preacher, what do we have to jubilate about? You may say, come on, preacher, tell it as it is. You tell it like it is. What is there that we as Christians have to jubilate about, to rejoice, to thank God about, if this is Jubilation Sunday? And I'd like to tell it as it is, friend, this morning. And the word of God that I read as the text is very appropriate because there we find a reason why you and I ought to jubilate today and why we ought to thank God and why we ought to rejoice and make a loud noise. The word of God taken from the first epistle of the first letter of John, the beloved disciple. He wrote these words by inspiration over 50 years after Jesus had died and had risen from the dead. As far as we know, John was at Ephesus in Asia Minor when he wrote, and in writing to the Christians of his day, even as by inspiration he writes to you and me, he answers the question, what there is for us Christians really to shout about and to make a loud noise about, to jubilate about, what do we have for that? And John says... Herein, he says, or in this was manifested the love of God. In this thing, God showed his love to us in a special way, in a marvelous way, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. 
In simple words, John is saying, are you asking what we Christians have to jubilate about and to rejoice about? John says this, we ought to rejoice and thank God and make a loud noise unto God for the greatest gift of his love, for the supreme gift of his love, the gift of life through Jesus Christ. John says, this is what you ought to jubilate about. You may say, preacher, tell it as it is. What is so wonderful about jubilating, about, you say, the greatest gift of God's love, the supreme gift? You mean that this gift of life through Christ is second to none? Do you mean that this gift can't be topped? Do you mean that this is what we as Christians have to jubilate about? That's what I mean. But you may say, well, wait a minute, preacher. After all, if this is what God's love has given, you say this is the greatest gift, life through Jesus Christ, you may say to me, couldn't his love have given us something better than life in Jesus Christ? Wasn't there a better gift than that? Uh, did God use the full capacity of his love to give us this thing of life in Christ? Oh, has the edge worn off a little bit of it? John, the apostle, the beloved, would say to you and me, I call on you to jubilate, to rejoice, and to thank God for the greatest gift of his love, the gift of life in Christ, because John would remind you and me, and I would do it too on the basis of the word of God, there is no better gift that God's love could give, because there just isn't any gift that is better than life through Jesus Christ. And you may say, preacher, we've heard that a lot. You mean to say that God Almighty who loves us could not have given us a better gift, that this gift tops everything, that this is the supreme gift, that it's second to none, the gift of life through Jesus Christ, and that this is something to make a loud noise about? That's right. Why? Because in the first place, John would remind you and me of this, that this greatest of all gifts of God's love, this supreme gift, this gift that is second to none, the gift of life in Christ, it necessitated that Christ come into this world and that he bear the guilt and the punishment of the world's sin. And you may say right there, preacher, I have a hang-up. You say God is love. That's right. You say God loved us so much. You may say to me, well, if God loved us so much, why was it necessary for Christ to come into the world and to die on the cross? If God loved us, you may say, I know that I am a sinner, and I know all of us are, and I know that all of us, because we have sinned, we deserve punishment. But if God is love, like you say he is, and like John says, why didn't God in love just forget about our guilt and forget about our punishment? Why did God's Son have to come into the world and die on the cross? And that's a good question, isn't it? Because, you see, we ask it because when we think of God as a God of love, sometimes we forget that he is other things too. Above all, he is also a God of justice. God is a God who is righteous. God is a God of righteousness. He's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth God. God is just, and that means that when a man sins, there has to be punishment. God's justice must be satisfied. And therefore, had God, because of his love, said, I know you're guilty and I know you deserve punishment, had God said, but in love I'm going to forget all about it, God would have sinned against his justice and he would have ceased to be a holy God. It was necessary for God's justice to be satisfied fully and completely 
before his love could provide this gift of life, this greatest of all gifts. And so John, the beloved disciple, reminds us that God sent his only begotten son. What only begotten means, we don't know. We know what it does not mean. It does not mean that he was created. How the Son is the only begotten of the Father in eternity, your minds and mine cannot fathom. But we do know this, that it means to tell us that Jesus the Son was equal in power and majesty with the Father. He was no less than God in eternity, even as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are God. But because God is a God of justice, and justice had to be satisfied, it became necessary then to provide this greatest of all gifts of his love for his son to come into the world and to become a human being, to be born of the Virgin Mary and to go to Calvary's cross and to take on himself the guilt and the punishment of the world's sin, to bear the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me and all men. This is what this blessing of God's love necessitated no wonder then on Jubilate Sunday we say, what have we got to jubilate about? What have we got to make a loud noise about? John says this, the greatest blessing of God's love. Why? It's second to none. There isn't any better. God couldn't give you and me a better blessing than life in his son because what does it mean in view of the fact that his son met God's justice on the cross? and bore hell and damnation for you and me and our stead. This blessing means this. Today as Christians, it means the forgiveness of our sins every day of our life when we ask him. And at death, it means deliverance from the eternal punishment of hell. And I ask you this morning, you name me a blessing that is greater. To think that every day you and I as sinners can turn to our God and because he loved us in Christ to say, for Christ's sake, who has met all the demands for me, who bore my guilt and my punishment, God forgive me. And in love, God says, I forgive you and I forget all your sins. I forget your wrongdoings. I assure you that there is no punishment awaiting you and that on the day of your death and mine, this blessing means that God says, you shall not be damned because of my love and because you have my son, Jesus Christ. You have life in him. You will not be sent to hell. You will not be separated from my love and mercy forever. You say, preacher, tell it like it is. This is what I'm trying to do. This is as it is. This is Jubilation Sunday. And because it is, we ought to say to ourselves, then this ought to be the Sunday when I make a loud noise. This ought to be a Sunday when I rejoice and I thank God for the greatest blessing of his love. Barring none, it's second to none, it's supreme. It can't be topped because there is no better blessing than the blessing of life in Christ. Then I ought to say, God, I'm going to jubilate and I'm going to thank you for that. And that means that we ought to be determined to thank God that he's a God of love. But to watch in your life and mind that we don't shape this love in such a way that it becomes a phony. There are some who ride on this thing of love that again it becomes anything but what God is. There are the universalists, for instance, who say everybody's going to be saved. God is a God of love. How could God ever punish anyone? They fail to realize that while God is love and God does yearn and long for the salvation of all men, that everybody is not going to be saved because the justice of God means this, that either Christ is going to pay the penalty for a man 
or a man is going to pay it himself. Let's not stretch the love of God that God becomes a spineless jellyfish. Let's remember what love is. Then let's thank God that he is the God of love. With all that we know of God, all the wonderful things and the attributes, if we took love away, everything would be hopeless. Then the greatest blessing, the blessing second to none, that of life in Jesus Christ would never have come to you and me. It would never have been brought into the world. Christ would never have come. There would be no life, no salvation for the entire human race. It would have been better than that you and I had never been born. But oh, what comfort to be able to thank God that he's loved that the heart of God is love, that he loves you and me, that God loves all men, and thus the assurance that he is the one and the true and the only God. He has revealed himself as love. No other God has ever spoken like him. And because he loves, it must have come out of heaven. God is the true and the living God. This is Jubilation Sunday. You say, what have we Christians got to shout about? What have we Christians got to shout hallelujah and to say, oh, again, what great blessing that we will jubilate and will thank God and rejoice. And John the Beloved says this, you ought to jubilate in this fact that you have the greatest gift of God's love, barring none. It's second to none. It can't be topped. It is supreme the gift of life in Jesus Christ. And John reminds you and me that this is the greatest gift for the simple reason that there is no better gift. God himself in love could not have provided a better gift because no better gift exists than this one. You say, preacher, tell it as it is. There you go with your superlatives. And this is the only way we can speak of God's love in Christ Jesus in eternal life. It is superlative because it stands alone. It stands supreme. It is second to none. Because John in the second place reminds you and me that this greatest of all blessings of God's love, this blessing that can't be taught, that is second to none, this blessing of life through Jesus Christ that necessitated that Christ come into the world and merit a 100% righteousness for you and me and for all men. You may say there's another hang-up we may have. You say, now listen, preacher, if God loved us so much as you say he does, then why doesn't God just admit all of us to heaven? Why doesn't God just say, I know that you're a sinner, and I know that you're guilty, but I love you so much that I want all of you to be saved, and I, I thereby admit you to heaven. But you see, when we have that hang-up, we fail to realize that while God is a God of love, don't forget he's also a God of justice. Remember the story that Jesus told about the parable of the marriage of the king's son? And when the king came out to the marriage feast and was into the banquet room, and there sat a man there who didn't have on a marriage garment, and the master of the house said, Where is your wedding garment? You are in here without a wedding garment. And he said to the servant, Throw that man out. No one gets into the marriage feast without having on a wedding garment. God loves you and me, but his justice says nobody gets into heaven without a 100% righteousness. You and I don't have a 100% righteousness. And if God let you and me into heaven without a 100% righteousness, then I would say your, your justice is a sham. You're nothing but a jellyfish. Your love isn't genuine. Where is your justice? It was necessary for Christ on the cross then 
to merit by his sufferings and death a 100% righteousness for the entire world so that all men could by means of that righteousness satisfy God's justice and be admitted to heaven where God's love would not sin against his justice and his justice would not sin against his love. And because it necessitated that Christ do that, oh, what love. It's the greatest of all blessings. John says, today is jubilation. Today is the day when you make a loud noise, when you thank God, and, and we ought to because what does this blessing mean? It's second to none. It means that right now you and I have this life, and it means that it death. It means no less than heaven. What do we have that is worth shouting about? It's good sometimes to stop and say, we make a loud noise. We're to shout hallelujah. We're to say, we jubilate. We're to say, thank God. John says, you've got the greatest blessing that God Almighty could ever bestow, life in Jesus Christ. What does it mean? When you and I were baptized, a new life was given us in Jesus Christ. Christ came to dwell in your heart and mind. This life is ours now. You and I have a life in Christ that a man without Christ doesn't have. This is ours right now. And at death, this life means what? It means heaven. And what does that mean? When Jesus would remind you and me that he says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. Do you know of any blessing that could in any way surpass or exceed the blessing of life? Then when death comes to you and me in that very moment, that we pass from death to life, that we stand before our Christ and having on the 100% righteousness, that wedding garment, to be admitted into heaven and to know that that's the end of dying, that the ordeal is over with forever. And there will never be any more sorrow. There will never be any more tears that you and I will have an eternity without one tear. We'll never know again what a tear is. We look at our Christ, and when he went to the cross, we are told, who for the joy that was set before him, when he looked beyond the cross and knew that he was going back home to heaven, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The thing that gave him joy when he went on the cross and bore hell and damnation for you and me was the assurance that after it was all over, he was going to heaven. I ask you, can you top it? Sometimes we as Christians, I wonder if we appreciate what we've got. I wonder if we can say to ourselves, God's love has given me the greatest blessing that his love could bestow, because there isn't any better blessing than life in Jesus Christ. It means heaven. It means the end of sorrow. It means the end of all grief. It means the end of sickness. And I am sure that no one who goes there at death would ever want to leave it again, because before the great throne, they worship and thank him and they jubilate because I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Then on this Sunday when John calls and says, Jubilate, 
You've got something to crow about. You've got something to shout about. And it's this. You've got the greatest blessing that God's love could ever bestow. And we ought to say, I'm going to thank God. You're telling us how it is. This is what we want. And I'm going to thank him. And then we ought to say, I'm going to show that I appreciate it in doing this, in loving the brethren and loving those that I don't like so well. Did you catch the force of this? John says, listen, if God loved us so much, if God loved you and me so much that he has given us a blessing that is second to none, life in Jesus Christ, then John says, should you and I therefore not love the brethren and love our fellow man. Oh, we're hearing a lot about love. May I just remind you, this word love is agapon or agape. This is Christian love. This is the kind of love that only a Christian has. And you may say, bring it down to earth, preacher. What are you talking about? The kind of a love that a Christian has. This kind of love that a Christian has is this. In gratitude for God's love having saved you and me before we loved him, then we say to ourselves, God, I'm going to show that I appreciate that I have the greatest blessing, second to none, life in Christ, and I'm going to show this kind of love to my fellow man, to those that I don't like so well. We say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Christian love means this, that I yearn for the salvation of every man, and that I treat him accordingly in mercy and in kindness, and that means the man that I don't like so well. Who is there in your life that you don't like so well? I've got to love every man. I don't have to like every man. Likes this filial affection thing varies. There are people that you and I like better than others in the Twelve, in the Apostolate. There were three of them in the inner circle. There was a love that Jesus had for Peter, James, and John, an affection that was greater than he had for the other nine. And amongst the three, there was a filial affection that he had for John that was greater than he had for all the others. Anything wrong about that? No. You like a lot of people better than you like others. There are some people, are there not, who make you sick when you see them? You're not happy in their presence. Oh, you don't hate them, but they get on your nerves. You may be sitting in church and saying, I don't like you, preacher, and you may not. But what I mean by love is this, whether you like me or not, you've got to love me. What does that mean? You've got to look at me as a creature of God. You've got to yearn for my salvation if you appreciate what you have. It means that you will in mercy and kindness you will try to make my way to heaven, that I won't miss it. And this is what it means for me. This is Christian love. This is what the world needs. That whether I like a man, whether I like the color of his skin or not, whether I like him as the way he treats me, whether he makes me nervous or drives me crazy when I see him, I've got to love him, John says. God loved you. Can you do anything else but love your fellow man? Then what? And then and only then do we have the joy that Christ dwells in us, that your faith and mine is a living faith. May I lay it on the line. If in your life and mine, you and I haven't learned to love the people we don't like, we're not a Christian.
Jesus doesn't dwell in you and me. John says, when you love as a Christian, you haven't seen God at any time, although John says, I saw Christ. John says, then, and only then do you have the evidence that Christ dwells in you and that you dwell in him, that the Holy Spirit has made you one. Let's just look at it this morning. Do you and I love all men? Do we yearn for the salvation of every man that he can have this greatest of all blessings? You and I say are now treating that way. In mercy and kindness and if he's hungry, I'll give him something to eat. If he needs some clothes, I'll put it. Whether I like him or whether I don't, if that kind of love isn't in your heart and mind, I mean the people we find it hard to like. Take the Pharisees. Take the 23rd chapter of St. Matthew. Did Jesus like the Pharisees? When he calls them, you generation of vipers, woe is you, damned are you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There were a lot of people he liked better than the hypocritical Pharisees, but he loved them. He loved them with all his heart. He yearned for their salvation. Let's just face it this morning. Unless there is love in your heart and mind that we burn for the salvation of every man, those that we don't like. We are not children of God. We've lost this great blessing. This is what it means. This is simple English. You say, preacher, lay it on the line. Tell us just like it is. This is as it is. John says, this is Jubilation Sunday. This is the day we rejoice. This is the day you and I make a great noise. Why? Because John says, you've got something to crow about. You've got something to shout about. You've got the greatest blessing that God's love ever gave the blessing of life in Jesus Christ, because there isn't any better blessing. You name it. What is it? Because John reminds you and me that this blessing, this greatest of all blessing, life in Christ, it necessitates Christ returning to this earth. It necessitates a general resurrection of the dead. It necessitates a general judgment. It necessitates a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. Can you imagine that? You talk about the greatness of this blessing. It means he's coming back. He who arose from the dead, he means he's coming back and he's going to give the word and all the dead will be raised. Our bodies will be raised. And it means a great judgment when those that have this life in him will stand at his right and those who have rejected it will be at his left. And these will be saved and these will be damned in spite of his love because they have rejected love. And when you reject love, there's only justice left. Then it means a new heaven and a new earth, the old one to be destroyed by fire. A new one, mind you. Why? So that with body raised from the dead, glorified if we have Jesus Christ, that we shall put on glorified bodies and we shall forever be with the Lord and be reunited with our loved ones. I ask you, you name a greater blessing. Preacher, tell it like it is. I'm trying to, friend. You challenge me. You name me something bigger that his love could have done than life in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's lost some of its thrill. But John would remind you and me that there isn't anything any better. He couldn't have done anything better than to have sent his son to give you and me life. And it ought to mean, bring it into your life and mind this morning, we ought to say, there ought to be then in my life, ought to be some jubilation in spite of the day, in spite of the sorrows and the heartaches.
Some of you say to me, and I deal with them by the dozens, what do you tell people who are filled with the blues, who are filled with self-pity, who come to you who are despairing, and who are despondent, who don't want to live? What do you do? Filled with worry, what do you do about it? Do you just say, don't worry? Uh, don't be despondent, don't despair. No, you don't say that. You know that doesn't do any good. Some of you have said to me, can a person help himself when he gets the blues and he is just so filled with self-pity and he's filled with despair and he, he despondent and uh, he just doesn't want to live? Can, what can you do? Can you do something? Yes, you can. What we ought to do then is this. We ought to, in that moment, we ought to say, but... I am to jubilate. I am to make a great noise. Do you ever go out at night and look up into the starry heavens with all of your tears and heartaches and disappointments and say, but God loves me. I'm saved. I've got life in Jesus Christ. Thanks, God. Did you ever jubilate? Or oh, if you want to drive the blues away, if you want to drive despair and despondency away, jubilate sometime every day in your life and mine in spite of the troubles and the heartaches have we forgotten to make a loud noise unto the Lord oh we all get these fits of depression don't we I remember when Dr. Martin Luther he tells us himself in the midst of the reformation and there was a price on his head and again this thing had developed he never expected anything to get worldwide like this was the reformation of the church he only wanted to cleanse it and again he was rather depressed and into his study one day walked his wife Katerina he called her you know Katie my rib and Katie walked in and she was all dressed in black and a black hat on and she just walked in and sat there and he looked up at her and he said why Katie who died you're in mourning she said yes said, are you going to a funeral? She said, yes. Luther said, why? She says, God died. I'm going to God's funeral. He looked at her. He says, Katie, God died? And she says, yes, Martin. God died. By the looks of you the last couple of days, so despondent and so despairing and so got the blues, God must have died. So I just thought I'd get ready to go to his funeral. And oh, her little sense of humor... And yet it did something. Oh, when we can jubilate. Then the joy, what, of knowing that on the way home, when the road becomes rugged, oh, to know that we can cheer ourselves and we can just stop and say, God, I'm going to jubilate. I'm going to make a loud noise. I'm going to thank you. Oh, what that does on the way home. I think of the missionary that has spent a life in the foreign field was coming back home to America. The boat docked in New York City and President Theodore Roosevelt was on the boat too, coming back from the trip. The missionary, as he's standing there, looking from the boat, he was scanning down at the crowd on the dock and just hoping that he might just see somebody that he knew. But seemingly there was no one, but the gangplank was let down. Then President Theodore Roosevelt went off the boat and there was the band and they struck up the band, hailed to the chief, and everybody shouted, the President of the United States and the missionary that spent a life in the foreign field telling about the love of God. He walked down the gangplank alone. He stood there. Nobody was there. 
Nobody cared. He stood and he walked to one side and he stood on the dock and he started to cry. He says, nobody cares about me. He said, nobody cares. Nobody was here to meet me. No one. So alone. He broke down and he stopped and then finally he stopped. He says, well, wait a minute. What am I crying about? I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. I've got Christ and I've got eternal. Oh, when I get home, oh, he'll meet me. When I get home, what a greeting. And he dried his tears and he jubilated and he said, oh, I'm not home yet. See, you and I aren't home yet. But, oh, God, if we can just say there's going to be a day in my life, I don't care what comes, what I, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to make a loud noise. I'm going to thank you for the greatest gift of your love that I'm saved in Jesus Christ. And then you and I can, oh, we can take this treacherous road of sorrows and disappointments, and we all have them, and we can sing. And I love the spirit of that Latvian song that, that captivates the spirit so beautifully. We can go along and say, My God and I go in the field together. We walk and we talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands, we join hands, and our voices ring with laughter. Oh God, how happy. My God and I walk through the meadows, you. This earth will pass and with it common trifles, but God and I will go unendingly. Oh, jubilate every day. Preacher, tell it like it is. This is the way it is, friend. We've got a lot to shout about. The greatest blessing second to none gets tops life in Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.